Hi everyone. Welcome to Real World Parenting, tips and scripts for parents on roads less traveled. I'm Dr. Laura Anderson, a child and family psychologist, and I'm glad you're here. As you settle in to listen, let me reassure you that you are in the right place. If you're a loving parent looking for answers and encouragement, and maybe even a chuckle amidst hard things. If you're a loving parent who's raising a child on a journey different from your own as a child, and are seeking a compass as you navigate uncharted waters. This is the place for you if you get the theory of parenting advice you keep hearing, but for the love of chocolate and curry and all other nearly perfect things, that theory never quite works as planned with your actual children. Finally, you are in exactly the right place if you're a therapist or clinician who works with kids, teens, and families. My intention is that these episodes will deepen your work and change lives. So in this intro, I get two to three minutes here to boil down 30 years of work in my psychology offices and my experience as a mom in the trenches and let you know what I'll offer with this podcast. I almost called it Lessons from Our Living Rooms or Couch Conversations because my offerings will be things I have learned and keep learning from the vantage point of both my living room couch and my therapy office couch. The aim of this podcast is to offer hope, support, wisdom, and experience in community, to provide clinicians a window into what our recommendations actually mean for real families in real life. We will talk all things kid and teen related and shine a spotlight on families navigating identities related to race, gender, and adoption. We will explore common child and adolescent mental health and wellness related topics. The hope is to leave you with a greater understanding of your child's needs and a, you got this, energy. Episodes will also feature actual practical tips and answers to questions including, well, what do I say when and what do I do when, so that you feel equipped to handle the day-to-day parenting puzzles we face. So pour yourself a cuppa or lace up some shoes or hide in your busy parent bathroom for a bit and join me for head and heart conversations about loving and living with children walking past less often traveled. Have I mentioned I'm glad you're here? I trust that you'll be glad. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Real World Parenting. I wish it wasn't the real world that we are increasingly needing to discuss, but we but we are. This conversation has become more and more frequent, doesn't get easier, more and more necessary. So today, it's me solo talking specifically about how to talk to kids about the fear of random school-based violence. Now, I know there's lots of different conversations to be had with kids about violence. Um, This whole conversation about gun violence is long overdue in many respects, and even just violence in our country. This isn't elements of violence are not new. We've had violence in our interactions with other countries. We have violence in neighborhoods and safety concerns in neglected neighborhoods for many, many years. We have interpersonal violence that happens in families that can be really challenging to discuss with kids. They require similar but different. (laughs) Some of the themes are the same in how we talk to kids about that kind of stuff, and some are different. And so today I want to speak really specifically following the events in Texas last week where many school children, many fourth graders, I still, I still cannot wrap my mind around 
um, the scope of these incidences. And I still lie awake wondering or, or with the awareness that if Newtown, Connecticut, and even younger kids being gunned down in their classrooms doesn't lead to outrage and, and actual change, it's, it's, it's hard to stay hopeful. And that will be what part of today is, is uh, you know, on the largest level, this is talking to kids about things that we, we can't always control. There are other things in lives that in our lives that happen for kids that we can't control. We can't control tsunamis, hurricanes, earthquakes, tornadoes. Um, we can't control events, like accidents that happen um, to family members and loved ones. These are all things out of our control that that no parent wants to think about how to have a conversation with their kids about, or wants to imagine having to have the conversation about. Um, and, and gun violence in schools, random gun violence in schools is an added layer of helplessness inducing for parents because, um, it feel we, 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 you know, we can predict some weather <laughs> we can live in areas that don't have those kinds of concerns. Um, but the gun violence, I think for most of us is, is just so unfathomable that it's hard to imagine how to prepare our kids when we ourselves are, are nervous to terrified and unsure how to proceed, um, in, in helping our families feel safe. So today I want to think about how to talk to kids about these things. And then, um, also, a little bit about what what does it mean to take action and and and, and to become advocates in these areas. So um, I think first of all, what I would say is it's really important when you are getting ready to talk to kids about current events because there are a lot of current events in in our world right now that warrant discussions. So the first thing that I would suggest is to plan ahead of time on finding a quiet time, one-on-one -on -one conversation. If you have kids of different ages, and it's also knowing your family, if a dinner table conversation is a way to talk about this reasonably, and you know that that's great. But for a lot of folks, they're trying to imagine quiet time where they can find one-on-one -on -one time with kids. Uh, you know, tuck in time can be a nice time where parents connect, but I'm not sure I'd have parts of these conversations just before sleep. I think I would find a dog walk or a car drive or um, a moment after dinner or before dinner or something like that. So finding that time that makes sense to connect with your kid, to give them your attention and to get their attention. Secondly, you want to practice or plan for what you're going to say. Do it in a mirror. Um, have your co-parent, if you have one, or best friend or sister on the phone, just listen to the script that you're thinking based on what your kids' ages are and what you want them to know. Oftentimes I find when I go out and do trainings, people don't want to do role plays. They're anxious. They feel put on the spot. It feels like it takes extra effort rather than just listening. And time and time again, I get the feedback back that the role plays were extremely helpful. When we try to say concrete things, we realize what sticks and where we stumble and what doesn't sound natural or a word we use that we think, oh my gosh, I can't, that doesn't make sense. Practice, practice a couple times if you're really nervous about this. Your energy coming into the conversation will help determine how your child receives it. Practice the actual words you will say in mirrors with friends, with a partner. It just lowers your stress level, helps you practice, and finds the stumbling points. Third, at this point, I would say for kids 
probably eight, seven, eight and older, um, I would ask, I would say, like, what are you hearing? Did you hear anything about some, you know, yucky stuff that happened in schools? Did you hear anything in the news about a school in Texas? Um, and ask. And if they say, no, why? What happened? Then you have a chance to say, oh, it's a good time for us to sit down and just talk a little bit about what happens when when things that are unsafe happen at school, when you need to be able to learn how to be safe at school. Do you have any questions for me? Do you know what the emergency plan is at school? So then you go into safety planning. You don't need to tell a seven or eight-year-old who hasn't heard anything that there were gunmen who went on a rampage or a gunman who went on a rampage. You can just make sure that your child knows what to do um, if there is a safety. Like, what what drills do you all do? And what's the plan if? And all right, mom just wants to make sure, dad just wants to make sure that you know what the safety planning is. And, And if we do get separated from each other, you know, sometimes if there is an emergency, where can we meet up in that back parking lot by the gym or in the school or whatever? Like you just sort of have a conversation about what safety planning looks like at school. And does your child know who their safe people are at school? And also, do they know what the family safety plan is? If there is a, a, an event someplace that you will, one or two places in the community, you will try to all meet up um, uh, if your child uh, is not in a contained place at school or somewhere. So, And sometimes we'll say, let kids lead the conversation. But what we're learning more and more with social media these days is that they're hearing a lot, processing a lot, and they're not talking about it. So they are, they're listening to conversations and watching videos, unfortunately, a lot of videos online, and they're not then starting conversations with their parents. So waiting for them to initiate it may not get you what you want in this case. So I would encourage you for kids hmm, seven, eight and older to check in about what they've heard and what they know. So lead the conversation, practice and plan what you'll say. Find a quiet time and start right off with, what do you know? Have you heard anything? What are you seeing or hearing about what happened in Texas at a school? And, and then find out where are you hearing it? Are you hearing it from other kids? Oh, really? Did you see some videos? Were you watching the news? Have you talked about it at all in class? So these are things to ask. And you can do all of these things with, with kids of all ages practicing, leading, finding a quiet time, asking what they know, and then just find out where they're getting their information can be really helpful for you to know. So those are kind of the basic backdrop of things that you just, what do they know? How do they know it? And then the hard part is what we want to do to manage kids' stress is make things understandable and predictable to them. So that gets hard in these situations. These situations also tap into our family values, right? I have a belief that these kinds of incidences happen because of both larger cultural forces and large level system change that needs to happen around the interpretation of the constitution and and gun rights, but also because of individual factors um, in terms of impulse control, um, judgment, emotional harm, history of trauma. Um, I also want to make a point really clear, carefully here for those of you listening. Very often the phrase is mental health issues, mental health issues, mental health issues gets tossed around. I want to be exceptionally clear in, in capital letters with exclamation points before, during, and after. Most people with mental health concerns 
do not enact random public violence. They don't. So notice what messaging you're giving your child if you explain this person must have been mentally ill and leave it at that. Because it may be that you have a family member who later gets described as having a mental illness or they themselves develop mental illness of some kind later in life. And they've got this association with people who are, quote unquote, mentally ill or have a mental illness as being linked to these um, really horrifying events. So so I try to expand the conversation. I will talk about how, uh, for instance, language I would lose with kids. And I'd say this, like, look, when these things happen... When these things happen, I'm at a loss sometimes. I wish, I wish I could explain exactly why that happened because then I would know exactly how to, to stop them from happening. I, I wish that we understood how to fix all the parts of these systems that are kind of broken and, and, and creating these situations that um, have cost people their lives and made school feel kind of shaky and unsafe sometimes. I don't have all the answers, but you are welcome to ask any questions. And if they say, why do you think this happens? Or why would anybody shoot up a school? I say, that's a, that's a great question. It's really complicated. I think the answers are, are, are somewhat different in each of these you know situations. There have been more than a few lately, but almost always it, our family beliefs about this are that it is access to guns that shouldn't be available um, to, to citizens, that we don't take enough care to make sure only safe and trained and emotionally stable folks have access to guns. And we don't, we don't take enough care in that regards. This person may have had a lot of upsetting things in their life or a lot of loss happen. And hey, buddy, just so we're clear, not everybody who has, you know, trauma in their life, who has had some bad luck or has had a lot of loss, it does these kind of things. That's what I mean. That's why it's so hard to predict. It's always big issues and little issues and all stacking up on somebody who didn't get help soon enough. So for whatever reason, this person and the people around this school shooter didn't get help soon enough to stop this from happening. And that's how I think about why these things happen. Big level stuff that our, that our government and, our, and the people in Washington need to figure out. And then also eyes on folks at schools and in families. It didn't happen in a way that we could get this person help so that they wouldn't feel as, as hopeless or as angry and punishing as they felt. Um, and, I, and I really am saddened that it happened. Do you have questions for me? Oh, mom, do you think it could happen at my school? That answer would, I'd catch my breath (laughs) and I would say, I really, really, really hope not. It doesn't happen in most schools, even though we're hearing more and more about these things. Most schools do not have things like this happen. And I'm hoping that your school does a good job of keeping an eye on, on kids who are having a hard time. I'm hoping that they're having conversations about stress and stress management. And I know the school has some safety plans in place. Do you know what the safety plan is at your school? So now you're back to talking with your kids a little bit about safety planning. What kind of drills do you do? What do you think about those? I sure wish you didn't have to do them. Do you know why we do safety drills? And, and 
the answer to why we do it is because if there is an emergency, so you're using words like emergency in general, if there is an emergency and you've practiced what to do, your body can go into autopilot and do it. Your body will just know better where to go, what not to do and what to do if you have practiced it. Um, and, and, and the idea is that schools have plans. Grownups know what needs to happen at school. Adults have thought these things through and there's lots of people working with schools to try to figure out how to make the safety plans as safe and as good as possible. And so who, and then I always ask kids, who's your safe person at school? Who do you think you could go to if you didn't feel safe about something? Or if you heard kids talking, this is another thing that I find after work for many, many years, two decades, actually with my office physically on school campuses, private schools, public schools, international schools, head starts, charters. I've been in every kind of school almost (laughs) that exists. Kids have heard things. Kids do hear rumors. Sometimes the rumors aren't true. Sometimes they are. In these cases, we want kids to tell trusted adults because an assessment will help determine if there's any reason to ask. I've done the assessments. So we want your kids, we want you to have a conversation. Like if you ever hear about anything that a person is planning at school or talk about coming to school with a weapon of any kind, who would you talk to about that? You please tell me immediately and make sure like, who could we, let's put our thinking caps on. If you're talking to younger kids, you know, who at the school would be the person to go to if we needed to know, um, if they needed to know that you wanted them to check on somebody to get a person help before people get hurt. So we want to figure out how to get people help before others get hurt. And that's what we're trying to do in these situations. So um, what you really want to do is the other thing you want to do um, is make sure that you're uh, modeling the fact that that you are having feelings too. I think, you know, parents always say, I don't want my kid to see me afraid. I think in these situations, it's okay to say, to show them an example of naming the feeling, talking about it and not letting it debilitate you. And certainly not putting your kids in a position where they have to take care of you about your fears about their safety. So it's a little bit like, yeah, it's, it's scary for me. I can't, Um, I can't watch the footage. I really would recommend you don't watch videos of it. Those kinds of things stick in our brains. And I I am sad and I'm worried. I do worry about these things. And then I remind myself that we've got to look to the helpers, that there are things we can do differently, that in line with our family values, there's ways we can try to get the people making decisions to listen to us. Um, And all we can do, worrying about if this is going to happen doesn't make it better. It, do, it doesn't. Worrying doesn't solve anything, fix anything, get more help. It just takes up our energy in our brains and our bodies. So worrying about this isn't going to help the situation and it isn't going to help emergencies happen or not happen. Notice again, I'm using words like emergency instead of saying over and over again, a shooting, a gunman, a shooter or whatever, just for the sake of reason I'm careful in my language and it's something for you to think about as well is that if if the language is too alarming, then people go into fight or flight and they can't hear the reasoning that you have. So using words like emergency, or if there's a crisis at school, or if there's a, you know, if people have had super stressful situations in their lives, rather than using words like trauma or death or, um, you know, 
whatever details we think we have about this this um, shooter and their family. If you're just using language that communicates urgency and safety, but you don't have to keep saying over and over the shooter, the gunman, the whatever, you can use different language because this is a broader coping strategy. So you're naming your feelings, you're acknowledging you have them. If you start to get teary, that's okay too. You can say it's it's hard. It's hard to understand how or why these things happen. Mama has grown up friends. Um, I have people I'm going to talk to about it because it's a lot and we're going to figure out how to cope and I'm here for you to lean into and we're going to snuggle and we're going to play water balloons and we're going to do a puzzle and we're going to remember that worrying about the future isn't going to help keep us safe. Making a plan, knowing what the plan is, making sure we report anything that we hear from other kids at schools or to me, that's helpful. And then beyond that, you just want to be doing what you're doing right now and playing. And let's stay in the moment. Let's have a good time. Let's go to your brother's soccer game. Let's turn on the ball game. Let's, let's be together and, and, um, and really enjoy each other. And, and so, and if your family is a faith-based family, you know, offering prayers, offering support, and then ask your kid. This is one of the other things we do too. And a key takeaway from kids is the agency piece. They, most of us, but kids too, also want to know something they can do. It helps us feel as if we have some control if we've taken action or activated in some way. Um, and so it, I will say, once I've said I have, my feelings are up and down, but worrying doesn't help, making a plan does, talking to safe adults does, then I would say, what else do you think we can do? You know, our family really values legislation. Our family wants laws to be passed so that so that people with training who know how to be safe and that people who are making good decisions and who are emotionally stable are the ones who can access guns. Um, uh, or our family doesn't believe anybody should have a gun or whatever your family beliefs are. Now's the time to talk to your kids. There are certain kinds of guns we don't think anybody should ever have access to. So what do you think we can do? And kids will come up with ideas like, you know, write a card to the school. Okay, well, let's do that. Um, let's call our congressman, depending on the age of your kids. Sure. Okay. Here's some advocacy I found out about. Are there kids at school suggesting other things? What do you think makes sense to try to be part of the solution? Right? Every day we have a choice to wake up and be part of bringing goodness. Every day we have a choice to bring, be a part of bringing goodness, to being kind to neighbors, to being helpers, to being part of the solution. We say after these crises, look to the helpers. We can also be helpers. Um, and just, just bring kindness and thoughtfulness and safety in our ways of interacting with the world. But also sometimes it's really helpful for kids to draw a picture to mail, draw a letter to send, draw a picture of, um, their teacher, their favorite teacher who will keep them safe. Um, do they want to write a song? Do they want to, um, again, send a postcard, do something that, is that that means taking action write a letter to the senators what can they do to feel powerful when these incidences lead to all of us feeling powerless um so coming up with concrete advocacy steps or condolences steps uh can be really helpful for kids of different ages i would point out when you're talking what to do again watching repeat media coverage 
um, watching media coverage on loop over and over again, watching videos, they can rattle our, our nervous systems and help our thinking stay stuck in loops. Doesn't mean we turn a blind eye or, or turn, turn away from what is happening in the media. Hopefully with the imagery comes urgency, but there's a fine line. At a certain point, you wanna turn off the media coverage, you wanna turn off screens, you wanna connect with family, you wanna offer love and support. And you ultimately, as we sort of wrap up today, you ultimately want to remind your kids that grown-ups are doing the best that they can to make it right, right? Like, and then if you're working with adolescents, again, or if you're parenting adolescents, sorry, then you're like, listen, you know, what can we do? How do you make sure people vote? What's a way to get out vote in the, in the neighborhoods? Do you think people understand these issues? How could we increase understanding of these um, so it's the, so there's an advocacy piece there. Give kids a sense of agency, um, get their ideas about what seems like a great way to get involved. If your kids don't want to talk to you about it, if your kid just kind of shuts down, I think you can still say, Hey, you know, I can see, it's, do you want to talk about this? Nah, nah, I'm good. Is it, you know, common? All right, well, here's what I'd want you to know if we were talking. Just listen for a second, you know. I, I, I worry, I hope you know that I'm doing whatever I can to change the way this stuff plays out. I hope if you hear anything at school that you'll, like, who's the person you trust? Can you let me know? Can you let somebody at school know? Um, gosh, if, if anything's making you that angry or sad, please let me know we can connect somehow. That's it. I just, I just want to make space. I want you to know that this is hard for me and I imagine it's hard for you. And I'm here when you do feel like talking about it, if and when you do. Because um, it's been jarring for all of us. And, and I don't know what to do with all the feelings I'm having. So I can't imagine um, you know, what feelings you're having. And I just wanted you to know that I'm doing everything within my human powers to be part of the solution around this stuff because it's not okay. Um, that's it. Love you. You know, like that's what you're communicating. Love. You're doing the best you can for safety, whether your kid is talking and expressing worries or not. Ah, so in a nutshell, you're finding time to lead conversations. You're asking them what they know. You're asking them where they hear it. I've had a lot of success talking to older kids, asking them what other people, what are kids at school saying? Not how, what do you think about it? What are you hearing? Is there any arguing about gun rights stuff now happening at school? What do you think about that? So you're, you're asking open-ended questions about their experience, but it isn't directly across the table. You know, what do you believe? Uh, how are you feeling if you don't have a kid who talks about, if you have a kid who doesn't talk freely about their feelings? You know, what's the word on the street in school? What's happening? What are teachers saying? What are kids saying? So you're wanting to ask and then listen, listen, listen for what they're, what they're hearing. Do they feel personally unsafe? Have they been so upset sometimes that they want to, you know, take revenge or retribution? <laughs> like, listen, ask directly and then listen. Normalize any range of feelings model the fact that you have mixed feelings, say, I don't know when you really don't know the answer, talk about your family beliefs and how you want to do something with your family beliefs around this piece and encourage agency. 
What do they want to do? Do they feel a need to do something? Where could they be having conversations? Would they like to do some art or a puzzle or send a letter or a postcard or whatever? Give them a sense of some control over coping with really intense emotions when we're asking them to go back into these situations, right? Be mindful of your language. So when you're talking about what's the emergency plan at school, what drills do you do? Do you know what to do? Um, remember, here's our family plan. If anything happens. Um, so it just helps us all and tell your kids, it helps us all to have a plan because we all hope like crazy, nothing like this is ever going to happen near us. But if it does, then, then we all have a plan and we're going to look to the helpers and hopefully be part of changing what, what creates these, these scary events. Um, and now let's play right now. Let's get back to the here and now. Now let's remember being right here today, doing your math, playing, hanging out, um, is, is how we keep being defiant. We keep doing life the way we're going to do life and we're going to keep being part of change for the better. So I really enjoy making, I don't enjoy talking about any of this stuff, but I enjoy coming up with language and wording for parents because these conversations are a lot harder to have than we think they are and avoiding them doesn't, doesn't help our kids. Um, and it also means our feelings are still rattling around inside. So you want your kid to leave this experience knowing they can talk to you, they can come to you, feelings are okay, that you'll be a helper as much as you can in whatever way you can, um, and that staying present in the here and now uh, is the best, one of the best things we can do, instead of borrowing worry when worry doesn't change things. All right, so thank you for joining me today. I hope there is very little to talk about along these lines in the future, and um, I... Yeah, I'm thinking of all of you, all of our homes, all of our dinner tables, all of our car rides. Take advantage of those times to, to build skills in your kids and offer safety. And I hope you'll join me again. Take care. All right, well, thanks for listening today. Just a quick note here at the end to say I am so glad you joined, and I hope you are too. And if you'd like to connect with me more, come take a look at my website, www.com drlaraanderson.com. There you can join my newsletter, keep in touch and find out what is in the works. You can also join me for coffee and conversation uh, on Facebook at Common Cord Psychology Services. So check me out those places and I look forward to further connection. I'm glad you were here today.